I want to talk to you for a few minutes about revival, hopefully in preparation and laying some groundwork for what it is that God wants to do over the upcoming weeks. And so that when we talk about summer revival, we're not talking about just a, a series of services. We're talking about an encounter with the Holy Spirit. We're talking about an encounter with God and what it is that he wants to do into our lives. I want us to make revival personal this morning. I want us to make revival something that we're pursuing and that we embrace. And, you know, when, when, you, when you try to define the word revival, I looked up some stuff in the dictionary. Let me just give you a couple of things that come out of the dictionary. Revival is an improvement in the condition or the strength of something. It's the improvement in the condition. It's revived, right? Or the strength of something. Well, that's pretty good. I'll, how many of you could take an improvement in your life? In some area of your life, the improvement in the condition of something, whether that be our family, the strength of something, uh, our calling, our destiny. So that's one definition of revival. Another one is to restore, to renew, to recharge, rekindle, reawaken, or revive. Another one is the, the returning of God's people. How many of you fit that category? If you fit that category, raise your hand. The returning of God's people to their true nature and their true purpose. The returning of God's people, that would be me and you. The returning. How many of you know that in life sometimes we can get pulled off course? Not because we want to or not because we intend to, but because it happens in life. Um, there's the world and there's the enemy and there's self and all of those things are contending to pull us away from God's nature and God's purpose for our lives. And so revival is the return to God's nature and God's purpose in our life. Just make it a little bit more real. <clears throat> you know, the, the word revival really comes from the word revive, which to me, one of the uh, most compelling pictures of reviving would be someone who, if you've ever seen it or experienced it in person or seen it on a TV show, is someone whose heart quits beating and they flatline and they're laying there and they put the, they put the paddles on their chest and they, they hit them with that jolt of electricity and they are, what, revived. So something that was had no life now has life again. And you know, our lives are not monolithic, right? They're not like just all one, one category. Our life is a bunch of different categories. And sometimes there's areas of our lives that can be thriving and that can be alive while there's other areas of our life are, that are on that gurney and they're flatlined. But how many of you know that God is a reviver, he is the one that can bring things back that we haven't been able to bring back. And so in a season of revival, we want to believe God to bring back to life everything within our sphere that needs to be brought back to life. There's some significant things that God wants to do in us individually and to do with us corporately. He wants to do it in our lives, in our family, but he also wants to do it in our church and beyond. And we need to have the right mindset to be able to understand what he wants to do in revival. So let me make a couple of statements. Does everybody have a copy of the notes? If you don't have a copy of the notes, would you raise your hand? Wow, we missed a few people. I may not have ran enough. So our ushers are helping us out. Just keep your hands up. And then do like this. Y'all look so nice. Y'all should be in a parade this weekend. You can stop doing that, but you can keep your hand up till they hit you with the notes. <clears throat> 
Let me make a couple of statements here that I hope will kind of set our rudder towards what it is I feel like the Holy Spirit wants to convey this morning. The first statement I want to make is this, is that corporate revival, everybody said corporate revival. That's church-wide revival. Corporate revival begins with and flows out of personal revival. Corporate revival begins with and flows out of personal revival. What are we saying there? We're saying that we're not waiting on the church to have revival. We are waiting on ourselves to have revival. The scripture tells us in 1 Corinthians that the church is a body and it's made up of many parts and Jesus is the head, right? And so we are all parts of the body of Christ. And if we want to see the church enter a time of awakening, of rekindling, of coming back to life, then we're going to have to experience it personally. Can everybody say this with me? Put your hand right here and say, revival starts with me. Revival starts with me. If the church is going to have revival, then revival has to start in my life and it has to start in your life. And if, let me say this, personal revival, if we're talking about a personal revival, the church is not going to experience a revival if we don't experience a revival. But personal revival is not an event that we wait on. Let me say that again. Personal revival is not an event that we wait on. Rather, it's a destination that we step into. Let me say it again. We're not waiting on revival to show up. It's time to go after and step into revival. See, there's an element of personal responsibility that is a part of the revival equation that's key to the beginning or the initiation or the start of a fresh move of God in all of our lives. See, God has a part. God made the rules, right? Anybody ever play baseball? Remember playing? Anybody ever had kids that played t-ball? You know, there are rules to baseball. I remember that when my boys were real little. And I remember I loved to watch t-ball because there's rules to baseball. You go to, you hit the ball, you go to first base, second base, third base, you come home, you score a run. But how many of you know those little guys and gals, when they hit the ball, sometimes they may just run straight out to the fence out there, or they may just sit down right there, or they'll run to third base, you know. But there was somebody who invented the game, and he and he he devised it in a way that it would work. And how many of you know life is the same way? The kingdom is the same way. And the way that God devised the kingdom was he chose to be in partnership with you and I. God generally, as a rule, does not do things on his own in the earth. As a rule, he partners with you and I to get things done in the earth. He doesn't have to have us, but he chose to walk with us and he chose to use us. So I have a part in personal revival and God has a part in revival in my life. The scripture says in James 4, 8, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Miss Thelma is the grammar teacher here for Victory Christian School. It's not a Paul Spring. He was looking up there. Um, that the you is an understood subject in that sentence. You draw near to God and he will draw near to you. That scripture implies to us that we have a part to play. The more of the presence of God we want in our life, the more of the pursuit of God that is our responsibility. Does everybody follow what I'm saying? Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. See, it's not that God isn't speaking or drawing or inviting or showing up or setting things up in all of our lives. It's just that I believe that in his word, he shows us over and over again that he's waiting on us. 
to take an initial step of faith, to make an initial move, to respond in some purposeful way, some trustful step of obedience. In Isaiah 119, the scripture says, if you are willing and, can y'all complete that sentence? If you're willing and, if you're willing and, everybody say and, if you're willing and obedient, then you shall eat the good of the land. The want to in us, the desire that we have, the hope of something are all necessary and needed But those things alone stop short of the breakthrough in our lives. There is another part of the equation. If we're willing and obedient, that is the part of the equation that's my responsibility. Now, I like numbers, but if I was just giving numbers, you know, when when we cut a chocolate pie, I like I like to have the the big part of the pie, and I like other people to have the small part of the pie. If we're talking about the big part of the pie and the small part of the pie when it comes to responsibility, my part versus God's part, I would say that my part is a very small slice of the pie. Because how many of you know there's very little I can do to change things in my own life? There's very little I can do to experience freedom and breakthrough and healing and renewal and revival in my own life to see things turn around. But God does give me a part. So if I was calling out numbers, I would, let's just say it like this. I believe that God gives us a part. Maybe he gives us 1% and God takes on 99%. How many of you know that was a good deal? I would be glad to take 99% of my mom's chocolate pie. And give everybody else 1%, right? But God says we have a part and, and we have to do, do our part. And that part in the, can take on different forms. What does that look like? What does my response look like? What does my responsibility look like when it comes to personal revival in my life? And the thing that, that I want us to understand this morning is, is, I don't know if you're like me, but many times throughout my life, I thought I was waiting on God. You ever said that to anybody? I'm just waiting on God. Okay, confession. Has anybody ever said that? I'm just waiting on God. How's it going, brother? Oh, I'm just waiting. I'm waiting on God. But I would say more times than not in my life, when I got to down the road a little bit, I found out that really it wasn't that I was waiting on God. It was God that was waiting on me to be obedient, to trust him. To initiate something, to make a step, to exercise my faith. This will be a conversation possibly that me and God would have had. This would be me. God, why hasn't this thing moved yet? And this would be God, because you haven't moved yet. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? But the movement that God is looking for in our lives is not about performance. It's not do more. I mean... Maybe it is do more, pray more, read your Bible more, but it's not about the performance. What God is looking for from us is more surrender. It's not more of the do, but it's the more of who we are surrendered to him. It's not a performance for God. It's a heart response to God. See, it's ultimately a crossroads for our heart of number one, will I hear God? Pastor's been teaching us a lot about hearing God. But when I hear God, what will I do with that? Will I trust him with what he says? Will I surrender to him? Will I follow him? Will I believe him? 
Will I pursue him? When we hit that crossroads of what he says versus what it makes versus what we do, it makes all the difference. Remember the, the day that Jesus showed up uh, to Peter and Peter had been out fishing all night long. And Peter was a professional fisherman and he was tired and he was worn out and he had failed miserably. And Jesus walks up and he said to him, he said, Peter, go back out and cast your nets on the other side of the boat. And Peter's initial response, what I love about scripture is scripture doesn't paint everything a rosy picture. It gives us the real deal. Peter's response was probably real close to what our response is many times when we hear from the Lord. Peter's response was, look, I've worked hard all night. I know how to do this. This is what I do. I know, Jesus, you do what you do, but this is what I do. I fish. And I have done everything I know to do. And I have fished all around this boat. And I have fished deep and I have fished shallow. I've been all around and there's no fish to be caught tonight. But what I love about Peter was when he hit that crossroads of what was the reality in his life versus what the possibility was in his life. He stopped himself at that point and he put a semicolon in his sentence and he said, nevertheless. And some of us here today need to be able to say that to some of the circumstances that are going on in our life. And we've told all night, we've done everything that we know to do. And we're at this crossroads of things haven't changed. But like Peter, he said, nevertheless, he said, at your word, I will do what you say. He had a part to do. Now, could Jesus have had the, the fish come swimming up and jump in the boat right there? Could he have done that? Absolutely, 100%. But he didn't. He asked Peter to do something, to play a small part, just to hear and just to obey and just to trust that what God was asking him to do, if he would obey it, what it does is if I obey it, if I'll take that step, it's like the scripture in Revelation 3, I use it all the time, but Jesus says, I stand at the door and knock. I stand at the door. Jesus doesn't say I come with a battering ram and I knock the door down and I come on in. It says I stand at the door and knock. And if any person will grab the door and hop on the other side and open the door, he says, then I'll come in and make things right. So for us, our part is to grab the doorknob and open the door. Peter said, nevertheless, at your word, I'll do it. So he goes back out and obviously we all know the story. He went out and he did his 1%. And how many of you know God did his 99%? God wants to encourage us this morning that there are some things that need to be revived. There are some things that need to be changed. And we're going to talk about some of the different things God wants to do. But we have to have hope this morning that it will participate and we'll partner with God. God will do his part. Acts 3.19, the scripture says this. It's kind of a blueprint or a roadmap to a seasonal shift in our life. And it reads like this. It says, so repent. The Amplified says, change your inner self, your old way of thinking, and return to God. So, can you all repeat after me? Repent and return. Say it. Repent and return. It says, repent and return to God. Seek His purposes for your life so that your sins will be wiped away and so that seasons of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Restoring you like a cool wind on a hot day. That's how they amplify it. Let me say that again. He says, if we will repent, which is a heart condition. How many of you know that if I need, if a person, if a person needs to repent, that doesn't make them a bad person. It just makes them a person. 
Anybody know what I'm talking about? Repentance, the scripture says in First Chronicles, it says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn. Repentance means turn, change of mind, turn away from. Turn from their wicked ways, then I'll hear from heaven, I'll heal their land. The scripture starts off by saying that if my people... So God already knows that his people are going to need to turn from some things throughout life. Now, could we have a confession this morning and say that there are times in your life where you need to repent? Three of us? Amen. Maybe like this. How many of you would agree with the person sitting next to you that sometimes they need to repent? Let me see your hand. Oh, look at the participation. See, repentance is not bad. Repentance is necessary. Repentance is good. Repentance is supposed to be a daily part of a believer's life. No, no, we're not making a declaration that I'm going to live in sin and I'm going to be in bondage and I'm always going to need to repent of the same things. But we are human and we have a heart that has to continually be brought back into focus and continually readjusted to the, to the things of God, the truth of God, and the presence of God. And God is saying in this verse, if we'll turn our hearts towards Him, and then that's a heart thing, and then He says if we'll return to Him, which is all about intimacy. How many of you know Mary and Martha were in the same room with Jesus? One of them was intimate with him in relationship, and one of them was not. It's not just about proximity. It's about focus. It's about heart. It's about intimacy. He's saying if you'll repent and you'll return, set some things aside, then that's our part. But if we'll do that, then he says that his part will be a seasonal shifting in our life. And he says that there will come seasons of refreshing. I would say seasons of revival from the presence of the Lord into every aspect of our life. I love that. He says, restoring you like a cool wind on a hot day. God's part is seasons of refreshing. Our part is to repent and to return. So my question this morning is, do you want to experience personal revival? Our church is not going to experience revival. If we show up here week to week expecting revival to show up without us doing our part, then we're, we're deluding ourselves. We're deceiving ourselves. Revival starts with me. Everybody say it. Revival starts with me. Amen. I quickly want to look before we close. I'm going to quickly look at three things that I feel like the Lord spoke to me to share about things that he wants to do during this revival season. These are three results, I would say, that God wants to bring to pass in our life. Now, I believe that there's many other ones, but these are three that he wants me to mention. And then I just want to close out our altar time by quickly mentioning some responsibilities that we have to make sure that God brings these results. Amen. So the first result that I believe that God wants to bring to pass during this revival season in our life is I believe that he wants it to be a season of reclamation. To reclaim some things. Reclamation defined is rescue from an undesirable state. Is there anything in your life, in your family, in your sphere of influence that's in an undesirable state? I believe that God says that he wants to rescue it from that undesirable state. Reclamation means to claim or demand the return of. To claim or demand the return of a right or a possession, something that belongs to me that the enemy has taken. How many of you know that we do have an enemy? 
We don't live enemy focused, but we do fight a real enemy. And there are times that he comes after the things that God has promised me. There are times that he he unlawfully comes onto my territory, even though the signs are up that says no trespassing. And maybe I'm otherwise occupied on another front, but the enemy comes in the back door and he takes something that legally and rightfully belongs to me. Has the enemy ever snuck in and stole your peace? Has the enemy ever came in and stole your joy? Has the enemy ever came in and swiped something out of your bank account? Has the enemy ever attacked your marriage or your children? Do you know what I'm talking about? Reclamation is going out after and demanding back or taking back that which rightfully belongs to me that has been taken by the enemy. I believe that this is to be a season that if there are things missing in your life when you look around, if there are things that are not present that belong to you, how many of you know we have a spiritual inheritance in God? We are in covenant with God. And there are things that belong to us that the enemy comes in to try to take away from us. But we have a legal right and we have a legal authority to go and take them back. Remember the story of David and Ziglag? Remember David and his mighty men were out fighting a battle? They were out fighting, doing the thing that they were supposed to do. And when him and his men came back to the town where all of their families were at Ziglag, they found that all of their wives and all of their children had been taken captive by the Philistines and their city had been burned with fire. The enemy came into their camp. Any any of you old timers? Well, don't raise your hand if you're an old timer. And I'm not going to sing it. I'm just going to quote it. but, But remember that scripture... Or that song that says, I went to the enemy's camp and I took back what he stole from me. Do y'all remember that song? Do y'all know the melody? Anybody know the melody? David and his men come back and the enemy had came into his camp and taken what had belonged to him. And the scripture says, I'm going to read it. In 1 Samuel chapter 30 verse 3, it says, when David and his men saw the ruins... And realize what had happened to their families. They wept until they could not weep no more. Sometimes we find ourselves attacked by the enemy. Sometimes we find ourselves in a difficult situation. Scripture says that David was greatly distressed. And the people that were serving with him talked of stoning him. How many of you know he was at a crossroads in his life? That which belonged to him. That which was closest to him. How many of you know the enemy hates us? He hates our marriages. He hates our families. He hates the work that God's doing in our life. He hates the dream God's put in our heart. And he comes to rob us of that which rightfully belongs to us. He comes to take it. And in this situation, he came and he stole something that belonged to David. Now, David could have got into self-pity. David could have blamed God. David could have done all kinds of different things. But in that moment, when he recognized that the enemy had taken something that rightfully belonged to him, the scripture says that he began to strengthen himself or to encourage himself in the Lord. And what the Lord wants us to know this morning is, is there may be some things missing and there may be some things captive and there may be some things that have been taken. But in this moment, in this season, if we will begin to look to God and begin to encourage ourselves and strengthen ourselves, how many of you know it doesn't have to stay that way? 
And David began to pursue God and call out on God. And when he went to God, God told him to go and pursue that which God had given him. And if he would pursue it, he said he would get everything back. And I've got to move on. But you know the story. When David did what God said to do. How many of you know David couldn't make it all happen? But he could take a step and he could go in that direction. And when he obeyed God, the scripture says, David recovered all. Everybody say all. God wants us in this season to recover all that rightfully belongs to us. He recovered all that the enemy had carried away. He rescued his wives and nothing of theirs was lacking, either small or great. David recovered all. I believe in this season of revival, God is saying that if we'll do our part, he'll do his part. And there's some things that have been taken. There are some things that are missing in our lives. Maybe emotionally, maybe mentally, maybe relationally, maybe financially, maybe it's dreams and callings. Maybe it's, I don't know what it is, but God says he's well able to help us to recover all. I got to quickly go through these. The second thing that I believe that God wants to see happen in this season is restoration. Restoration. To not only reclaim from the enemy that which rightfully belongs to us, not just to get it back but to see that thing restored for the glory of God. To take it from the hands of the enemy and put it back into the hands of our Heavenly Father. To reclaim it from the one who would destroy it and place it in the hands of the one who will restore it. Because God is a God of restoration. In Joel 2.25, the scripture says, So I will restore to you the years that the swarming locusts has eaten the crawling locust, the consuming locust, and the chewing locust. How many of you know we can't go back in time? We can't go back and, and, and do over what has been done in the past. But how many of you know God is a master of being able to reach back and to restore that which the enemy has taken from us? The word restoration means a bringing back of something to a, an, a former, original, normal, and unimpaired condition. It's a reconstruction of the original form. But how many of you know that, I don't know, how many of you restore things? Uh, Anybody restore houses or you restore cars or you restore, I mean, the people restore paintings. There's all kinds of different things to restore. The value of something that has been restored is dependent on um, the expertise of the one doing the restoration. Do you know that? Certain people can restore something. It'll be worth a whole lot more money than it is if I restored it. But how many of you know the most amazing restorer of all is our Heavenly Father? And when we let God get His hands on that which the enemy has stolen from us, and He brings it back to us, and we put it in His hand, what the enemy tried to, rest- to destroy, God has the ability to restore. Nahum 2.2 2 says this, For the land of Israel lies empty and broken, After your attacks, listen to this, but the Lord will restore its honor and its power again. I believe the enemy has tried to make us believe that there are certain things in our lives that will never be the same. But I speak this morning, I believe by way of the Holy Spirit to say that God is a restorer. That he can restore its honor and he can restore its power again. Again, see, restoration is another word for it is renewal or to make new again. And Revelation 21, 5 scripture says, look, I am making all things new.
I'm not a doctor, but what I've heard, and if it's wrong, forgive me, but what I've heard is that when a bone is broken and it mends properly, the place of the break is now stronger than it was before it was ever broken. And there's some things in our life that the enemy has broken, but God wants you to know that during this season, God wants to restore it back better than it was before. He wants to renew it. More strength, more honor, more power, more glory to our God. Can you say amen? And then thirdly, reclamation, restoration, number three, refreshing. Do you remember the story in the book of Genesis about Isaac going out to visit the wells that Abraham had dug? You know, wells are very important. Anybody got well water in here? Let me see your hand. You got a couple of people that have well water. I drank well water at my grandparents' house growing up and wells are extremely important if you don't have pipes running from the city main, right? Because if you're going to live, you got to have a well. Because if there is no water, there is no life. And Abraham had dug wells for the children of Israel, but the Philistines had come along and they found these wells, the enemies of God, they found these wells and they filled them up. And the scripture says that The Philistines, in Genesis 26, it says, The Philistines had stopped up all the wells which Isaac's father's servants had dug in the days of Abraham, and they had filled them with earth. That earth, that word there, earth, means they filled them with rubbish, ashes, and debris. They filled them with any, any amount of junk that they could find. They filled them up to plug them up to stop the flow of life-giving water. The scripture says that Isaac dug again the wells of water, which they had dug in the days of Abraham, his father. For the Philistine, Philistines had stopped them up after the death of Abraham. And he called the wells by the names which his father had called them. The enemy had come along and stopped the life-giving supply of water. And Isaac had to come back and he had to go to those very wells. There was water there because it had, it had flowed from there before, but something was preventing it from flowing. Refreshment couldn't come because the wells were filled with rubbish and debris and ashes and earth. And that's what happens in our life. That's what happens in our life many times as we're living life. Our wells will get polluted and our wells will get stopped up. And the life-giving water that we need to drink, we're no longer drinking. Sometimes there's areas of our life that are refreshed. And there's areas of our life that are doing well. And then there's other, maybe an area or two of our life where it's dying. But how many of you know if the river of God is not flowing into an area of our life, it can't live? We need the river of God. And I believe that what God is saying to us that during this season, that there is a refreshing that God wants to pour out on our lives. The areas of our lives that have become deserts, the scripture says that he makes streams in the desert. 
It says that there's a river that flows from the throne of God and that wherever that river flows, the fish live, that there is life. God wants those areas of our life, maybe that we've given up on, those areas of our lives that are dry, the areas of our lives that we look at and maybe we're ashamed of or we're disappointed in. But God wants us to know that during this season, if we will do our part, that he will do his part to come and cause the the river of life to flow in those areas of our lives again. Isaac redug the wells. Look, the wells were there. The water was there. But God didn't redig the wells. Isaac had to redig the wells to get to the refreshment. He had to pick up a shovel and he had to go to work. David had to pick up his sword and pursue the enemy. The results were amazing. The results are beyond what they could accomplish on their own. But they had a part. How many of you know we have a part? Do I want to experience what God has for me? Do I want to receive? Do I want to see some things reclaimed, some things restored? Do I want to experience refreshing? Do I want personal revival in my life? Do I want to be a catalyst for change in my own home, in my job? Then it starts with me. We've got to pick up whatever it is God's asking us to pick up. And begin to take the responsibility to do what He's asked us to do. And if we will, I love the scripture uh, in Numbers 21, 17. This is another one of those old songs. It's spring up a well. Spring up a well within my soul. Jesus said this. He said, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me. Out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Are you ready to drink from some fresh water during this revival season? God has something for us. God has turnaround. God has breakthrough. God has change. God has doors to open. God has strongholds to pull down. God has gifts he wants to release. He has dreams that he wants to rekindle. He has dreams he wants to fulfill. We can come to church and go home. We can come to church and go home waiting on the wells to get unstopped. Or we can get our hands involved and we can say, God, speak to me. God, what do I need to do? God, what, what, what is my part in this? What can I do to see your presence come into my life in a fresh way? And so that when I hear the word revival, I don't think about it being something that's coming my way at some point in time. But I understand it's something that I have the responsibility and the ability to step into. Now, I've got five minutes here and I'm going to close with six points. Think I can do that, Dylan? Now, these are, I want to talk just, I'm going to name six steps to personal revival. There's probably point six or 600, I don't know. These aren't sacred, but these are things I felt like the Holy Spirit quickened to me. One of these may apply to you. The Holy Spirit may quicken it to you. All six, none. But I just have the responsibility of sharing what I feel like the Holy Spirit prompted me. And what we're going to do is I'm going to quickly mention, these are like shovels that we take to the wells of our life. And we can say, I can use these to begin to do my part, to redig the wells in my life so that the refreshing springs of water from heaven can come into my life. So six steps to personal revival. I call it redigging our wells. 
How many of you want to redig some wells in your life? How many of you want to be refreshed? How many of you want to see God bring back things in your life that the enemy has stolen? How many of you want to see God restore, make some things new in your life? So we, can, we can't do that, but we can do what we can do. Number one is, we've already mentioned it, but repent. Number one is repent. Everybody say repent. I used to be embarrassed to stand up when they said, does anybody need to make things right with God? Now I like to jump up on my feet because I understand what it means to my life to keep my heart right with God, to keep it clear. You know, repent. Sometimes we've resisted God. We've, we've resisted the Holy Spirit. Maybe we've disobeyed or partially obeyed or we have besetting sins in our life. We have weights. The Scripture says in Hebrews that we need to lay aside every weight. That's so, what's the word? Everybody say easily. You mean God knows that there's some things in my life that easily trips me up? Does anybody got those things that easily trip you up? <laughs> he says, take those things and repent of them. Turn from them. Offload them. Bring them to me. Cover them under the blood. Just repent. Don't be like Adam and Eve. Even not Ethan and I were having coffee yesterday morning. We were having a discussion about the garden. And, you know, the thing about it was Adam and Eve messed it up. But then they went and hid. They didn't go repent. Right? They made fig leaves. They tried to cover it up. And then they tried to blame. And they just created all kinds of collateral damage in their life just because they wouldn't simply go and own it. It's okay. God knows we're going to fail. And He's a loving Heavenly Father. And He's just ready. Where are you at? You know, when, when, the, when the Father came into the garden to find Adam and Eve like He did on the, every cool of the day, he, didn't, he wasn't in there asking, What did you do? What did you do? What did you do? He came in there saying, where are you? Where are you? Because He wants to be with us. Because He can fix anything we mess up. He can fix anything that's broken. If we'll turn our hearts towards Him. Number one, repent. Number two, reconcile. I don't know if this is correct. I mean, I think it is correct theologically, but don't write it down. But I would say... I don't know if I should say it like that. I said it in early service, so I might as well say it. Because I think it's scriptural. Let me read this. Matthew 5, 23. Let me just read scripture. I'll be safe. Therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar, and there you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar, and go your way, and first be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. So what I read there is this. It's more important to God that we have things right between people than it is to go to church. Now, is church important? Absolutely. But what he said was, if you come to the altar with a gift and things aren't right between you and somebody else, leave the altar. You know, I can't do anything for you right now until you get this right. Sometimes our wells are stopped up with unreconciled relationships. And there's every excuse in the book. And most of the time, most of the time we're right, right? I have, I mean... I was done wrong, and I probably was done wrong. But at the end of the day, it still puts me in bondage to not make it right. Forgiveness is a gift. It's a gift that God gives me. All i got to do is unwrap it. It's a key that I put in the lock of the prison cell, and I go click, click, and I open the door, and I can step out and be free. But if I don't use forgiveness, then I stay in bondage. My wealth stays stopped up. There's things that God wants to do in our life that He can't do until we reconcile with other people. Now, that's a whole teaching on itself. That doesn't mean that everything's going to be the, the way that it was and that you, whatever. But it means that you set your heart free. 
and you set that other person free and you put them in the hands of God to see it right. Number three, real quick, release. There's some things that we're going to have to release from our past to be able to go forward into our future. There's some disappointments. There's some betrayals. There's some hurts. There's some wounds. There's some dead ends. There's some mistakes that are keeping us anchored back here. And until we let go of them, then we're not going to be able to step into something new over here. Remember when God decided he would chastise Samuel? He said, Samuel, how long are you going to mourn over the past? How long are you going to mourn over Saul? Yeah, I know you anointed him and I know you mentored him and I know he's messed it all up. But you can't stay stuck here looking in the past. How long are you going to mourn over Saul? He said, fill your horn with fresh oil because I'm sending you somewhere in the future. I'm sending you forward. I'm sending you to Jesse, the Bethlehemite. I'm sending you there to anoint a new king. I have something in your future that you can't gain until you let go of the past. And so we got to let go of some things. And we got to release them in the hands of God. Number four, realign. Sometimes we just need to get things lined up with God. Priorities, our heart, realign. Number five, resist. Jesus said, the enemy is coming, but he has nothing in me. We got to be able to say that. The enemy has nothing in my life. I resist him. We surrender to God and we resist the devil. How many of you know he's given us authority? He's given us power. He's given us the keys of the kingdom. He's given us his name. He's deputized us and we have to resist the enemy. And last, if you will, stand up to your feet. Last, number six, responsibility. Acts 3 says repent. I start with that one, number one. And then number six is return. Come back close. How many know God wants us close to him? Why does he want us close to him? Because, you know, it's hard to hear somebody when they're in the next room. He wants us close so he can speak to us. It's hard to hug someone's neck when they're in the next room. He wants to embrace us. He wants to be close to us for all the right reasons. And he's just saying, return, return, return. You know, sometimes I bump into people in in town or at Walmart or whatever, and they, they must think I'm the victory police, you know. I know you've done this. They'll going down the aisle or something, they'll see me, you know, like this. And I'm just like, I know. You know, it's not like we're the Pope or anything. We're just, you know, we got up mowed our yard too. And we need to get some water bottles and all that stuff. But, um, you know, but sometimes having conversation with people and they say things like, you know, I'll be back to church. I'm just going through some things right now and I just got to work through them. Sometimes that's our mindset towards God, man. We got, we got to fix things so we can come back to God. How many of you know that's just such deception? I can't fix nothing. I can't work anything out. I just got to return to Him and He'll work it out. He'll work it out. He'll help me reclaim some things. He'll help restore some things. He'll help refresh some things in my life if we'll return to Him. So, if you will, just lift your hands. Father, I just thank You for Your Word over our life. We thank You that this is a season of revival, God. God, even in surveying the landscape of our lives, seeing things that we think may never live again, things that we on our own, messed it up. We killed it off. But God, we surrender it to you today, God. And we believe that you're greater than our mistakes. You're greater than our failures. You're even greater than our unbelief and our doubt. Like Thomas said, I believe, help my unbelief. God, there's some things that were our fault. There's some things that weren't our fault, God. There were some things that were done to us. 
And God, but in all of these things, God, we believe, God, that we can be on your gurney. God, and you can touch us with your hand. And God, that you can revive us and restore us, God, and make us new again. And you can make those things better than they were before, God. God, we know we could never do your part, but God, we know you've given us a part to play, God, and we want to pick up our shovels, God, and we want to be intentional, God, God, about stepping into personal revival, stepping into a new season, repenting and returning so that seasons of refreshing would come upon our lives. So we're going to close this morning with just a worship song. And if if the Holy Spirit's speaking in to you anyway, and you you feel a prompting from God that says, you know what, there's some things, there's some responsibilities maybe that I've been abdicating in my life and I know I need to pick up my shovel. Shovel, I need to start redigging some wells and I'm going to step into revival and I'm going to like hold of everything that God has for me. During this worship song, maybe there in your seat or come down to the altar, find yourself to make a commitment to the pursuit and the return to God and this worship song is going to be our close. Stephen? enough unless you come will you meet me here again it's all I want it's all you are will you meet me here again not enough Will you meet me?
God, we thank you, Lord, that when we draw to you, you draw near to us. God, that when we repent, God, you forgive. We thank you that your blood washes us clean. God, we thank you that you restore unto us the joy of our salvation, that you renew our minds, God, for your great pleasure. So, God, we thank you, Lord, for restored minds, for refreshed hearts, for revived lips. God, we thank you for your spirit that is made alive in us, God. We say, Lord, let your spirit rise up in us like never before. God, we want you. We need you. We're hungry for you. We bless you, God. We love you. We thank you for what you've done today, God. And we pray, revive our hearts, oh God. Revive our nation, oh Lord. Revive our families, God. Let your revival fire burn in us, God in our minds and hearts for your glory. In Jesus' name we declare. Amen. Praise God.